Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leave Nothing to Chance, the podcast about starting and growing your small business, presented by ComBank. I'm comedian Yanni Gislo, and in each episode, we speak with business owners about their journey of starting, growing, and managing their business. In this episode, we're talking about growing your business or businesses. Uh, today, we're talking with Alex Adams, who runs Secret Foodies and Eat, Drink, Play. Uh, Alex, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Yanni. Yes. Uh, so you run a couple of businesses. So first of all, thanks for joining us. And why don't you talk us through what each of them are and uh, what they do? Sure, I'd love to. Um, well, food is the common denominator between my businesses. I like food. I think everyone likes food, don't they? Well, I don't know. If you don't like food, I don't, I don't want to know about it. Well, everyone needs food, don't they? They do. But there's a difference. Some people need food and some people like love food. Yeah, I so know quite a few people who just eat to live, but they're not my people. No, so you are you, you are a foodie, as they say. Yeah, okay. I am. Yeah, I'm a foodie. Um, and so, yeah, I run two businesses. One is Eat, Drink, Play, which is a... Sydney and Melbourne-based lifestyle website. So if you want to know a great, you know, new cafe or restaurant or bar or something cool to do in your town, you can go to our website and we um, have a team of food ninjas that go out there and discover all these places and write about them. And that, that's that's specifically food and drink-based? Yeah, eat, drink, play. So play kind of could be a really cool art exhibition right. or a really awesome festival or basically, um, you know, curating your social calendar in those cities, essentially. Uh, we do a lot of guides. So yeah, it's like one of our big guys, 16 unusual date ideas or 30 of the best rooftop bars in Sydney or Melbourne. And so I often use those when I'm thinking, where am I going to go out this weekend? Yeah, um, right. So okay. those things are, yeah, they're that's what we do there. So and that's Eat, Drink, Play. That's Eat, Drink, Play. Yep. And Secret Foodies um, kind of evolved out of Eat, Drink, Play. And we do secret pop-up dining experiences. Now, I'd heard of, <laughs> I'd heard of Secret Foodies before yeah. I met you, which is always a good sign for your business, right? Yes. For those people who don't know what Secret Foodies is, um, why don't you just talk us through perhaps what uh, what sort of uh, experience someone going to a Secret Foodies event could expect. Yeah, sure. So Secret Foodies is a surprise dining experience. <laughs> you buy a ticket to a themed event, but you don't know where you're going or who you're going to meet. Ooh. And you get a text message two hours before with the location. And then you arrive. Sometimes it's a lunch. Sometimes it's a dinner. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe a cocktail party, but it's all centered around food and meeting like-minded foodie people. Do you get a dress code? Uh, yeah, sometimes you do. Yeah, so we nice. just did an event um, last weekend, a couple of weekends ago, and the theme was pastels. So everyone rocked up in beautiful pastel uh, attire. Uh, very springtime. Yeah, it is. And then uh, we take that experience, that on offline experience, and we bring it back online. So we then write about the experience. Um, we share photos and videos from, from the event online. We also do private and corporate events. So it started out as just a little simple idea of me hosting secret dinner parties that people could buy tickets to. Right. But now we actually do, uh, people started saying, that was great. Can you do my birthday, my team building, my yeah, client Christmas party? I bet people would do that, yeah. And so it's really evolved and now we do anything, like we're in, in a, a really busy time now, so we might do anything from, you know, 20 people for a birthday through to 400 people for a Christmas party. Yes. And that's a really uh, big part of my business. And, that must be and very I, different events to organise. Yeah, they are. They're, every single event is different, which is what yep. I love about it. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so public and private events, and that all sort of came about diversifying the business and seeing an opportunity to... Um, you know, expand, and it, it was more than I than I thought it would be. How did the business grow from from what it started as to what it is now? It, kind of organically, really. So it started out of me just wanting 
extra people to help with Adrian Play to write about and cover all the, the great things that were happening in Sydney. And I could only go to so many events and drink so many cocktails. You can really, you know, wear yourself <laughs> thin going out six nights a week. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. So I, um, I, you know, I was looking for, for people who could help grow that side. And, you know, at the same time, people were saying, oh, like, I'd love to go and write about, you know, the things that you're, you're doing. And so that sort of came about that way. And, you know, I don't directly manage 20 people. I've uh, got uh, my editor in Melbourne and she manages her contributor team. Otherwise, you know, there's no way I could do everything. Yeah. And essentially I am running two businesses and they have multiple, they, they cross over and we use both of them to intertwine and cross promote each business. But essentially I can't do, I think as a business owner, you can get very stuck working in the business and not on the business okay, if well, you don't have well, enough time. I, I'm a bit confused. What's the difference in your opinion from in the business and on the business? Well, I think a lot of small business owners will probably empathise with this. When you're in the business, you're, you know, it's you're replying to every single email, you're ordering every, you're doing every order, you're... So, so you are the business. You are the business, right. which is what I started as. Yep. And then bringing other people and growing the business meant that I could have more time. I still work very much, I'm very hands-on in the business. You'll still find me, you know, stringing up balloons at an event and running around right. organising catering. But I also, it allows me more time to work on the business yes. and be a little bit more strategic about the direction where we're heading, partnerships, and also identifying opportunities to grow the business in other areas, i.e. taking e-drink play into Melbourne or secret foodies into Sydney, Mel- uh, into Melbourne and Brisbane, yep. or expanding and doing private and corporate events on top of our public ticketed events. So uh, um, are, there, are there processes that you've had to put in place in order to transition from a business that that's uh, one person to a business that's a, that's a lot larger than that. Absolutely, or I th- I think my business wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have lasted. So I, you know, I think in my school reports growing up, it was like if Alex paid more attention to her uh, attention ooh, to ooh, detail. I, I got was the exact you? same school report. More attention to detail. Uh, so it's something I've definitely didn't come naturally, but I've had to teach myself is, you know, being more detail orientated and putting processes in place have allowed me to grow the business. So a couple of examples, I guess, are, uh, you know, with the with Eat, Drink, Play was I started a newsletter and um, I would use that newsletter as a guide on, you know, here's all here's where you should be going. It was really simple. It's just a little editor's note at the top. Here's eight, a couple of eight ideas, yep. you know, restaurants, cafes, here's a couple of drink ideas, bars, this cool gin that's just launched, whatever, play, cool stuff section down the bottom, uh, which is just fun in things we've found on the internet that week. And then I've got a section where I promote our Secret Foodies private events. And I also use that EDM to sell Secret Foodies events. And I think email is so powerful. If I was just sending out an email to my customers saying, hey, buy my stuff, buy tickets to my events or buy tickets, you know, or buy my t-shirts or whatever you're selling out there. If it's just a sales email, I think people get so many of those. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's just your life, your inbox these days, isn't it? As people, and, and everything online is just, uh, you need to sort of add value somehow, don't you? Yeah. So I, from a very, very early on in the business, I thought, well, how can I get people to open my email and consider buying a ticket to Secret Foodies because that was the money maker initially. Drink Play didn't make money initially. And how can I get people to to buy tickets to this? Well, I'm going to give them um, ideas on how they can improve their social life. Right. So all of a sudden, I'm sending out emails. People are subscribing to our email list, and they're you know, thank you for all the wonderful things that you're sharing for me to do. Oh, I noticed this Secret Foodies event. Great, I'm going to buy a ticket to that. 
So you're not just sending out an email saying, come to Secret Foodies. Uh, You're sort of also adding value and sort of going, here are some great things that you could eat and drink and some places that you could go. And or if you would like to come, there's some Secret Foodies events as well. So when we first started sending out this newsletter, you know, I think I had a few thousand people on my email database and I would you know, here's all the great things that you can do, but I wasn't even linking back to Eat, Drink, Play. Some right. articles were, so I might feature, you know, this review that I'd written, but because I didn't have a massive team at the time, I wasn't covering as much content. So I didn't have enough content to fill a newsletter that week with all my own articles. Right. So I was linking to other websites. And then I was also, you know, obviously promoting Secret Foodies events and selling tickets. So it was hitting one business objective. I was selling tickets to events because people were opening the newsletter because mm-hmm. they had ideas on what to do. Yep. So that was great. But I started saying, you know, there was a trend towards online media. I saw that foodie culture was exploding. The MasterChef phenomenon had just happened. Right. Every man and his dog thought he was a foodie and a food critic. <laughs> My dad sits and watches that all the time. My dad cannot cook. <laughs> Can't cook. And he loves that show. Everyone loves that show. Yeah. So it became, you know, I started seeing a trend towards that. And then I thought, well, how am I going to make money out of Eat, Drink, Play? Well, I think it's going to be getting more eyeballs on the site. How am I going to get more eyeballs on the site? I need to get more content. And in order to get more content, I need more people. I need to grow my team. I need more people out there writing about the best things that people should do. And that's sort of how naturally it evolved. Um, And then I started linking back to only articles that we had written on Eat, Drink, Play in the newsletter. So then the unique visitors started increasing and then the subscribers started increasing. rolling sort of effect. Yeah. And then advertisers started saying, um, you know, rather than, you still won't find a flashing banner on Eat, Drink, Play. So rather than a flashing banner, it was all, you know, native integrated content. So rather than talking about, um, you know, here's this great new Dilma tea product. It was, here's how to host an awesome high tea experience. Here's really cool recipes. I would read that. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, here's how to, you know, here's some great recipes. Here how to, here's how to do some iced tea recipes coming into summer. Yeah. Here's a new tea range that Dilma's brought out. And here's an interesting piece of content. And we got paid for it. And the customer loved it because they had great ideas. And Dilma loved it because they got really interesting content that they could share. Yeah. It was a big win. And so then I started thinking, well, what are other ways that I can start getting more views onto the website? Well, social media. Social media was changing. As I said, when I first started Eat, Drink, Play nine years ago, there was only Twitter. But now there's Instagram, there's Twitter, there's paid content. So you could start boosting your content on Facebook. Um, And so then I started uh, posting on Instagram. And I remember making a goal, like, okay, I want to get to 10,000 Instagram followers. And how am I going to do that? So in the beginning, I think that's a bit of a myth. So many people, unless you've got 10,000 followers, you're like, how did you get there? And there's a lot of dodgy people out there that I'm sure you can buy likes and all those sorts of things. Um, How I did it was I had a schedule and I was like, right, I'm going to post um, every day I'm going to post and it's going to be like a, a beautiful photo or I'm going to regram or I'm going to use great shots that I've taken and I'm just going to start um, commenting and liking on other people in the food space. I'd use hashtags. So I so it's like Sydney Foodie that was related to Eat, Drink, Play Sid or Eat, Drink, Play Melb. And then I would, um, you know, like and comment on those. And I just spent a lot of time on it. And once I got that 10K mark, it just sort of snowballed. And then all of a sudden I had another avenue to... Um, sell to advertisers. And would you say that there was a real discipline to getting to that 10,000 follower mark? There was. And coming back to the processes, it was, I found sitting there and trying to think of something on the fly or on a Wednesday afternoon, what am I going to write about? I found was hard because I'd have to stop everything I was doing and I'd need to go into the zone of 
getting creative yes. and I might have been doing my accounting at the time. Yep. So what I did was uh, I used a tool. There's so many out there. I use one called Hootsuite and it's a scheduling tool. And at the beginning of the week, um, I would schedule all of my posts uh, right. so that I had a week's worth of content. And I was in that creative zone. I'd post my pictures. That's what my team does now. So, at the you know, at the beginning of the week, they post all their content and we can schedule that across Facebook, Hootsuite. I think you're right. It is sometimes difficult to go from having one hat on to another hat. Um, so if you can schedule it, I think that, that that definitely would help. I think that helps. And particularly a small business, when you're trying to do so many jobs yourself, yeah. if you can try and do it in blocks of time, mm. something that I try and do is, that, okay, this is my block of time where I'm doing social media. This is my block of time where I'm editing. This is my block of time where I'm doing my, you know, I'm in zero and I'm reconciling my accounts. Because the headspace for that versus the headspace for editing is totally Totally different. Travel time, I tend to use as an opportunity to, to double up on productivity rather than focusing. But other, otherwise, I agree. Yeah, trying to do just one thing at a time. Mm. Um, but then also being flexible. I know that because I work across Adrian Clay and Secret Foodies, two, two businesses essentially, I you know, I might send off a proposal for one to one client in Secret Foodies and then I need to wait to hear back from them. So then I go on to another task and then I might, you know, so you need to sort of be flexible. But things like scheduling, um, you know, using uh, like we use so yeah, Hootsuite for our social media. We use Mailchimp for our EDMs, so all our emails that we send out, yeah. and we can produce all that content, and schedule of that in advance. Um, I'm trying to think of other tools that I use. So when my having secret foodies, private and corporate events meant that we get so many people inquiring. It could be anything from 20-person birthday to, as I said, 400-person Christmas party. Yep. So managing those clients, I might be talking to some person on the phone about their birthday and then I'll pick up the phone and talk to someone else and I've completely forgotten what that person said. <laughs> so how do we, or likewise, you know, my colleague, she might be talking to a client and then all of a sudden she's away sick that day and I need to, they, the client calls in. I need to be able to see what that conversation you was, so that, so that we look competent. Yes. So I use a CRM for that. We use what, what does that stand for for those um, customer I don't know. relationship management tool? Right. Okay. So it's like a collective brain. Yeah, and it's it's also I think an efficient a tool if you wanted to sell your business. So one thing I realized when I was first starting was. You know, when when the, before I had other people working for me, was I am my business. Yes. And what happens if I decide to sell my business? I everything's in my my brain. Yeah, the IP can't be in your head. Yeah. So how do I get that IP out? IP out somewhere, and how do I make it a nice packaged tool to be able to give to someone else yeah, to that, run? I mean, that's that that is a good long term thing to think about. I mean, it'd be hard for you. You're a comedian, like you are your act. You know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I am my act, but uh, now I'm going to going to look into some CRM solutions and see whether or not I could sell my act. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, or writing other people's, you know. So, I mean, uh, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, I mean, do you prepare for the unexpected? Do you just expect that things are going to kind of slip, you're going you're to get some banana peels here and there, or do you just kind of like deal with things as they come? Uh, I am a planner. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, I love to, well, I don't love, it just comes naturally. So particularly with events, I will sit there and think about every possible scenario that could happen. Mm. And not just the obvious, what if it rains? It's, you know, what if this delivery doesn't order on time? What if the client does this? And what? If, uh, and that takes a, a personal hit. So for, for any business owners out there, I don't know if anyone can empathise, but I sometimes suffer from anxiety as a result of it because yeah. I, I look too far into the future and I try to predict everything, which A, probably makes me a good business operator, but B, 
you know, trying to trying to manage that with your personal life. Sometimes in the past I have suffered and I, you know, I do get a bit of anxiety of trying to manage my personal life with my business. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you'd be the only person listening here who thinks too much, you know, and um, that can be a great thing, as you say, for planning. But it is a burden sometimes when you really just, sometimes you just need to just let things be. Yeah. I mean, some ways that I've, some processes I've put in place to try and alleviate the anxiety yep. is, yeah, getting everything out of my head yes. and onto paper. So yep. I'm a massive list maker. Uh, even my to-do list, I have two columns um, that I look and every day as soon as I w- get into the office, I have an urgent and an important. And on the other side of my Word document, it's important, unurgent. And I toggle each task between the two. And then I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I know what everything. And I also slot in some personal things there. So it's like a doctor's appointment or the gym. I try and put my personal things into my to-do list as well. Yep. And then uh, before I leave every day, I restructure so that when I come into work the next day, I know exactly what I'm doing and understanding that, yes, things are going to happen and that to-do list might get shaken and I might need to focus on something else. But I find that that really helps me have some structure around and and um, alleviates the, the stress. But then understanding that sometimes there are things that you can't expect. So uh, what about what about Alex? What about you as a person? Um, I want to talk to you about your work-life balance. I mean, uh, people who run their own business, a lot of them have said that it is a difficult thing to to balance up. And I would imagine maybe with a business like yours, you know, you know, going out and socialising is mm-hmm. kind of your business. So how do how do you deal with that? Yeah, good question. So you know, I've been doing this business for nine years, and when I first started, I worked out of my bedroom. So I had, you know, my computer, I had um, my desk next to my bed and there was no differentiation. It was, you know, sometimes I'd spend days just working out of my pajamas (laughs) and it it just, it sort of all blurred into one and you'd work into the wee hours of the night. And then a couple of, I think I did that for probably 18 months. And then I got into, a friend of mine was starting a co-working office and there's so many co-working offices and spaces out there now, which is great. Yeah. You know, I think it's fantastic for, you know, small sole operators or small businesses. But this was one of the first I came across in Sydney and that was great. So I ended up um, having a desk there and working there. And because the other thing is I couldn't grow my team if I was working out of my bedroom, you know, it was awkward. <laughs> yeah, get like, your PJs, come yeah. on over, we'll work. I mean, there's definitely no work-life balance <laughs> when you're doing that. So I needed somewhere. And then when I moved into that office space, that's when I brought on um, a junior who came, helped me a couple of days a week because I had somewhere she could go yes. and it wasn't so awkward. And then I eventually um, went into another larger co-working space where I got more space and I had other people. And then incidentally, I've ended up running my own co-working space, kind of. Uh, Maybe like three years ago, a friend of mine, he has a ticketing business and we use them. I want a ticket for all of our ticketing for secret foodies events. And uh, he said, oh, do you want to get an office together? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we got an office in a really cool, it used to be an ice cream factory in Paddington. And it's a huge space and it's great. We've got lots of room for our props and stuff that we've got for secret foodies. But it was massive and we had all this room and we thought we could probably fit some more people in here. And then around about the time, that same time, one of our friends, he's an actor and he said, hey, I'm looking for somewhere I can, you know, come and just keep all my books and come and do some acting at night. And we're like, yeah, cool, you can come. And then another person said, hey, I'm a graphic designer. I'm just on my own. Like, would you mind if I rent a desk off you? And we're like, sure. And then a guy who lived down the road, he walked past (laughs) one day and said, hey, I, you know, manage cricket players and I'm sick of the kids running around at home. Can I rent a desk? So we didn't mean to become a co-working space, but we just became one. It's the circle of life, Simba. Yeah, it is, you know, and I think that's lovely because uh, that's how I sort of started in my business and now my business is 
it's still small, but it's matured and we've got an opportunity to help other people who are starting their businesses. Yeah. But I mean, and 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 do you find that, you know, having that uh, demarcation between say, uh, not working at your house, which mm. is now your house and like your workspace, does that help in terms of like uh, being able to sort of draw a line in your own mind about, you know, what's work and what's not work? Yeah, 100%. I rarely do any work at my house. Yeah. My apartment is my sh- sanctuary and I really don't do anything there. So I, and you know, I, I work in events. So I work on at nights and weekends and things like that. But I'm, I know that's work mode. And whenever I'm home, that's home mode. Yeah. And I also make a real point to go on holiday as well and it you know it is hard because when I'm in food even going out to a restaurant can sometimes feel <laughs> you know I'm looking at the kitchen and I'm looking at the wait staff and I'm seeing how they are so I need to try and switch off do you walk ever walk into a place and they're like <laughs> oh my god it's Alex from Secret Foodies she's come to review us or put us on eat drink play and you're like no I'm just here to eat <laughs> No, I don't know. I'm not that recognised. Uh, but someone did send me some a plate of cakes the other day as I was in the middle of a business meeting. And, not the worst thing to be sent. Yeah, I was like, okay, thank you. I'm actually just on a business meeting, but I feel like, okay, I'll take a photo or something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that does happen a little bit. But um, but I think differentiations uh, from work and to, to, to try and get that work-life balance, things that I do is, yes, I have an office. And even if it's a cafe, so if you're starting out a business, it's like, okay, I get out of my pyjamas, I go to this cafe that has free Wi-Fi and I work there. And then when I come home, I'm in home mode. I yeah. think that's very important. I also, uh, you know, I love exercising. So I love running. Running's a really good way for me to clear my mind and sort of process the day after, you know, after um, working. And uh, and making sure that, you know, I, I still take holidays as well. I think when you are running your own business, you can forget, oh, you're, you, should t- you should take four weeks holiday. And also some of the benefits of having your own business is that you do get more flexibility. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big reason why a lot of people want to start their business. I started it because one of those reasons was I didn't want to work in the corporate space um, anymore and I wanted more flexibility and particularly as I get older and I want to have a family and things like that, I think it's nice thinking, well, um, you know, maybe it is that I can go to work a little bit later, drop the kids off or I can leave early and yeah. I like to think as I get older and, uh, I, you know, I look to start a family that I'll be able to you know, be, be breastfeeding and, and working at the same time, I think. Like that's just... That's always the dream. Yeah. I think that flexibility of your owning your own small business is one of the major reasons why people would want to get into it. Okay. And um, just finally, so I'd like to know, um, Alex Adams, like, you know, what do you think doing business your way is? Like what's, what is it about the way you run your business that you think is quite unique? And also um, uh, what sort of tips would you give to people trying to grow their business um, from your own experiences? I think I've just always listened to my gut. You know, I started my business you, at 25. You're not the first person who said that. Really? Yep. Mm, yeah, I've just listened to it and I, I've taken people's advice on board, um, but then I've just done it my way anyway. Yeah, I, I back myself. Um, okay. And even mistakes I'm going to make, you know, I embrace failure. I think failing, you're one step closer to, to where you want to be. Yes. Fail so, fast. Fail fast. That's yeah. A good, that's, I like that. I think that's probably tip that I would give to someone is know that you're going to fail, but fail fast. Yeah. So when it happens, just take the lesson and move on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and be open, have a plan, and but then be open to, to ebbs and flows. And if you are so focused on your plan, sometimes you can miss opportunities that are around you 
that that can come your way. You know, if I'd been so focused on, no, I'm just going to run secret ticketed events, I wouldn't have started private and corporate events, which is a huge part of my revenue. Or if I'd just been focused on, no, I'm just going to write a blog and it's just going to be about my experiences, I wouldn't have grown the websites to where they are now, where they, you know, make money and we get thousands and thousands of people coming to our, our site. Another tip is understanding that no one is going to be as passionate about your business as you. Mm. And maybe they're not going to be able to do the job as well as you. But if they can do it 80% as well, that's got to be enough. Yeah, I guess the benefits of adding another person outweigh the, maybe like the fact that, that you've been in the business for a couple of years and they're just coming on new. That was a big lesson for me to take on and learn. So yeah, that one really helped me. Thank you very much, Alex, for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Annie. So many interesting things. Uh, things I took away from this were, um, you know, what, what you were saying about letting go of control and knowing when to start delegating on your business. That is 100% true from my own experience, and I'm sure other people listening will find that as well. Um, I, I really liked the way you said about uh, being the business or sort of being in charge of the business. So working in your business or on your business. I thought that was a very nice distinction. Uh, and finally, um, your use when you were growing from a really small operation to your current size of using, identifying, uh, identifying and using business tools to help to scale your business. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And if you'd like to find out more, you can search for ComBank Small Business for more resources. I'm Yanni Agislo, and this has been the Leave Nothing to Chance podcast. Thanks for listening.